I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Joe, my regular co-host, can't be with us on this call, so instead I'm joined by regular contributor to the podcast and writer for the website, our old friend Yanni. We do, as usual, have a special guest for today's show too, and we're both delighted to be in their company. He's the founder and host of the Total Screamers podcast, as well as being a proud Liverpool supporter, and he's also the head of media at Devonvale FC, who play their football up in his home country of Scotland. We welcome James Simpson to the United Mates Football Podcast. Simo, it's a pleasure to have you on the pod. Simo is here to talk about the group stage of Euro 2020 with us. Hopefully not too sore of a subject for him after the Tartan Army's exit from the Euros. So Simo, thanks for joining us. And how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well, mate. Still still licking my wounds. Um, (laughs) Thanks very much for having me on. I've been really, really looking forward to coming on. Uh, absolutely like i said a pleasure to have you on the show with us i think just to rub it in a little more i don't know if i did this intentionally or not but i have the croatia kit the czech republic kit and an england kit so the only team not being represented up there from uh, the group that, that scotland and england were in is scotland and even the czech kit um has barrels on the back so i don't know if that's like an extra wound given his sort of tenure at, at liverpool but Yanni, as we uh, record, this is day one of two days without Euro 2020 football between the group stage and the round of 16. But of course, Yanni, you are our resident Chile fan and the Copa America is going on. So what have you made of that? What have you made of the rise of Ben Brereton Diaz? And how are you doing yourself? (laughs) Uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks, Kai. Lovely to be on again. Um, Yeah, Ben Brereton Diaz living his best life out there. Um, you know, in a globalized world, he's taken an opportunity and why not? Um, Copa America, from what I've seen, has been very enjoyable. I've only watched a couple of games because I've been a bit saturated with football from the Euros. Um, but there are plenty of reasons why it shouldn't be happening. Plenty of reasons why it's a terrible idea. But the football itself has actually been all right, um, which is a bit surprising given the length of the season we've just had. Um but moving from chili to other kinds of food, Simo, on your Twitter page, you recently posted a very funny picture of Steve McManaman uh, tucking into some kind of pasty or pastry. <laughs> um, and a lot of footballers are involved in food nowadays. You know, you've got Alessandro Del Piero with a restaurant in LA. Lucas Podolski has opened ice cream shops and kebabs in Germany. Um, so for our icebreaker, my question to both of you, um, and we'll start with Kai, is... What is the next footballer? Who is the next footballer who you can see getting into the restaurant game and what are they serving up? So if we're talking about current footballers, I reckon Arsenal's very own and maybe there's a link with the whole Podolsky thing. It seems to be like Arsenal footballers, even Willian and David Luiz, I know got into the game, but I'm going to go for Hector Bellerin. He might not be an Arsenal player for much longer. If anything, actually, I've got my fingers crossed that that's the case because his stock has fallen massively. But as far as uh, the food world goes, he's what quite a proud vegan. So I think you could probably see him maybe like behind a market stall at Borough Market, just slanging some some vegan fare. I, I would go for that. Living out here in LA, that's like the, the norm is is the vegan diet. So yeah, I'm going to go for <laughs> Hector Bellerin on the vegan food scene. Uh, I'm going to go for Andy Robertson, who's going to open up a, a roll shop in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> That could well be the case, you know. Um, Hector Bellerin is a great shout. You know, he's he's got lots of interests outside of football, and food could be one of them. Andy Robertson, I see as well, very humble uh, stands on street food there. Uh, maybe it's a fallback thing. I've I've gone with someone else, um, another Arsenal connection, Alexis Sanchez. Just he could have like a hot dog stand themed after his own dogs, um, just with that sort of branding and marketing. I see that attracting wherever he ends up. Uh, he's in Italy now, if he's back in Chile. 
um, attracting lots of customers. It's a good sort of street food, football food kind of thing too. I know it's what Humber is one of the dogs, and yeah, then and I, Atom. Atom. Okay, yeah. Who knows where he came up with those names from? But quite a mysterious guy, Alexis Sanchez, and um, I think we'll probably just leave that where it is because <laughs> you can open Pandora's <laughs> box with him. Uh, otherwise, let's move on to the Euros what we're here to talk about. And we're going to go through the group. So we'll start with group A. Um, that, of course, was the group of Italy, Wales, Switzerland, and Turkey. Simo, I'll throw it to you. What did you make of proceedings in that group? Um, were there any surprises, any standouts in a good or a bad way? And um, the fixtures that are upcoming out of that group as well, Italy are going to go on to place play against Austria, Wales are going to face Denmark, and even Switzerland managed as a, as a third-place team to go through. They're going to play France in the next round. So, Group A, Simo, what did you make of it? Well, Turkey, I think, have underperformed a little bit. Um, they've, they've been probably the worst team in the tournament, which is good, <laughs> considering <laughs> the country that I was supporting. Um, Italy, I think, have played some really, really superb football, really cohesive um, football in terms of everybody knowing their roles, and I was I was on a podcast a, a couple of was it last week uh, where um, we were talking about Italy and the they're not they don't have the same superstars they had you know when they went on to win the World Cup and etc I think but they have you know really really top class players that are just really really good um, at specific roles in the pitch and I think the the football they're playing as well I don't think any team will want to play Italy. Uh, I think Wales have been pretty decent. I was um, speaking to a, a Wales fan yesterday on a podcast, and he was saying, uh, "I was said to him, it's uh, we look at that front four, and it's like um, you know, it's it's Real Madrid, Manchester United, um, Juventus, and a bit. It's like the man that stands out for me is the Cardiff man, Kiefer Moore. I think is having a superb tournament. Um, you know, he's 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 a really strong centre forward as well. But um, Switzerland as well, I think are having an okay." tournament. Jordan Shakiri having a very good tournament. He's very good for Switzerland. He always shines for uh, Switzerland. Um, even when he came off against um, in the Wales-Switzerland game, I think when Jordan Shakiri came off, it was a real turner for Wales to go on and, and get the equaliser. Um, but yeah, that would be my thoughts on, on Group A. Yeah, um, yeah, for me, you know, Turkey, Turkey the underperformance and, and Italy, um, superb performances. Yeah, spot on. Shakiri, the man whose carbs seem to just get bigger every time you see a new picture yeah, of him. Yeah, so. they're just <laughs> unhuman, you know? <laughs> like tree trunks, yeah. Otherwise, Turkey, uh, Yanni, I know a few weeks back before this tournament started, us at the United Mates, we sort of got together and made some predictions. One of those things that we were predicting was who might be a dark horse, who might be like a team that ends up surprising people. And Yanni had gone for Turkey, who, as Simo mentioned, are definitively or were definitively the worst team at the tournament. Zero points, I think one goal for, eight goals against. And again, as Simo mentioned, that sort of spared um, Scotland uh, that position as worst team in the tournament. So, Yoni, how did, how did you get to that with Turkey? And what did you make of, of Group A? Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up, Kai. I made other predictions which, which may age better than that specific one. Um, but Turkey, to be honest, I made the prediction without having really watched them, but following their results, you know, they won in France not so long ago. They beat the Netherlands just before the Euros in um, what I saw was a very exciting um, game with an ambitious attacking game plan. And I was so disappointed that they just showed a complete lack of that ambition in pretty much any of their games, apart from against Switzerland, when they really had to go for it. Um, because if you look at their talent, their individual quality, their they should have given a much better account of themselves. Um, always dubious of teams that bring back managers from 20 years ago, trying to recapture some kind of magic. Like as much as it pains me to say 2002, at least in football terms, is a long time ago. Uh, and it's a long, long time since the days of Shash and Hakansuka and all of these other familiar names. Um, and it seems always a little desperate when countries in particular lunge back for whatever their glory day was. Um, but they were extremely disappointing. I don't think, you know, a, a change in coach necessarily means it had to be that way for them. Um, as with the rest of the group, I think a lot of people were sleeping on Italy just because we have certain expectations of who they are and how they play. Um, but actually, when you think about it, they have arguably the most talented manager in the competition. Um, at least at a club level, the most storied and successful. 
he's got a very good group of players, a good mix of experience and youth and hunger. Um, and the run that they're on without defeat in, what is it, coming up to three years, any team going into any tournament with that kind of record is going to feel confident. And teams going up against that going to have to dig deep to get something or have the belief that they can overcome that. Um, and we'll see how they fare. They should, I think, get through pretty comfortably against Austria. We'll see what they're made of when they come up against real stern opposition. But they've been as good as anyone. I don't know what you think, Kai. No, they've been quietly very very impressive again mancini yeah has done a good job there's certain players in their team that you know there's certain players in your in their team that you're less aware of and even those guys are performing someone like spinazzola the other night was great and didn't know much about him going into the tournament and then the names that you sort of have been hearing about rumbles for like a year or so a couple of years have have also stepped up um they've got was it barella who's a very very tidy player in midfield who i like quite a lot um Berardi, who seems to have been around forever um, and like touted quite highly for a while, you know, he's finally putting in the performances. And then, of course, they've got Chiro Immobile, who has been prolific for Lazio for a while and is finally kind of seeming like he could be the guy to, on like a fine margins level, be the one to score a goal here, a goal there. And of course, Italy, I think, along with England, are the only teams uh, who haven't conceded a goal yet. So it might just be a goal here or a goal there that takes them through each of these rounds. But Yoni, how's about we jump on to Group B? Sure, yeah. Well, well, this one featured Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. And from those, this was one of the groups that only two teams progressed, Belgium and Denmark. One of the most eventful, for good and bad reasons, groups that uh, that we've seen the games of. Thankfully, Christian Eriksen, it does appear as okay, and he's been discharged from hospital. Um, but really, I mean, so far anyway, Beyond that, Denmark seems to be the good news story of the tournament, and they seem to have the will of everyone to do well. Um, Simo, what did you make of how this group unfolded, and in particular, Denmark's story throughout it? Well, I think it's been it's been covered um, extensively, hasn't it? The the Christian Eriksen story, you know. I mean, I think we can just look now, and obviously we're in a good situation now. Where you know, Chris is a lot better. He's out of hospital. He's had a pacemaker fit. Uh, it's, I'm not really sure what's going to go happen with his, his football career, but even if he doesn't play, I'd say you know he's had an extremely, extremely impressive career. Um, and he finishes if if he does finish his career, he finishes on a title win as well. Um, but you know, I think I, I, I work in medicine as well, so you know, my my only gropes were I think the the BBC should have cut um, to the studio quite a lot sooner. I think it was pretty. I've, I, I spoke about it a bit. I spoke about this in length. Um, recently, and it's, I just think it just lacked a lot of class that they didn't, you know. I think showing Christian's wife and, and things like that, you know. I think I just it just left a bit of taste in my mouth. That was a very disturbing experience for everybody. I'm glad he's okay. I think the Denmark players couldn't have acted with more, you know, courage and class. Um, but in terms of how they're playing the football now, you know, finishing up a 4 1 um, victory against Russia, they're going to play Wales now. Um, a good Wales side, a, a, a Wales side that's having an okay tournament, but Denmark, they, you know, they're they're going to have, they're going to want to, they're going to have an extra gear, I think, because they're going to want to do it for their for their teammate. Um, you know, I think it'll be an interesting match, definitely. For sure, um, I think one of the best games of the group stage was probably before that Denmark Russia one, the Denmark Belgium game, where in extremely emotional circumstances, Denmark came out of the blocks, firing on all blocks. Um, and Belgium eventually their quality showed in the second half. Uh, Kai, Belgium came top of that group with a perfect record. Um, what did you make of their performance through the group stage, and how do you feel their chances are going into the next round? I think on some levels, maybe more expectations, and then on, on other levels, surpassing expectations. I think you look at them defensively, as a unit, super impressive. As individuals, less convinced about the likes of, you know, even Vermaelen. I know it was the third game of the group, so they sort of chucked him in. But nonetheless, um, you know, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, these guys seemingly pass their best at club level. But it's quite impressive what Martinez has been able to do with, uh, with them as a defensive unit in that regard. And I think they're quite notorious for sort of playing 
really, really attacking wingers as like wingbacks. And again, still being quite a solid defensive unit. So as a team, they've got something going. Obviously, when you have Kevin De Bruyne on the pitch, that's a good start. When you've got Romelu Lukaku on the pitch, that's a good start. Eden Hazard, you know, a year or two back, you likewise would have said, you know, you put those three guys on a pitch and you're onto something. He's maybe going to still prove his worth at this tournament, which would be quite a, a handy thing for him as far as resurrecting his career at club level with Real Madrid, perhaps. But Lukaku, they're going to come up against Portugal in the next round, which is a very, very tasty game. And I think him and Ronaldo must be either joint top scorers at this point or something like that. So one of those two teams is going to go out, which you look at the way that the draw kind of breaks down in this tournament. And it's, you could probably talk about that for a long time. It's kind of strange how some of these better teams end up facing off. So Belgium's days could be numbered just because they are ending up going up against Portugal. But I don't know, maybe Simo, let me ask you, who do you see as favorites in, in that tie? Because I would have a very hard time calling it. Well, I have I have Belgium to go on and win the full thing. Romelu Lukaku, top scorer. Um, I don't know it's a wee bit of an outsider. My head tells me France, but it seems to be a bit boring saying that. So <laughs> I've picked another side. Um, I think Portugal have been highly impressive as well. You can never write off Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but the, but the, the Portuguese side as a whole is a, it's a good Solid side. Diogo Jota obviously coming into a bit of good form. Um, obviously, they get a, a really strong midfield. You know, Ruben Neves, players like that. They're players that are just really, really going to be difficult to play against. Um, but, you know, I think De Bruyne, Lukaku, um, even Ed, Eden Hazard's brother, Thorgan Hazard, plays for yeah. Borussia Dortmund. is also an extremely ta- talented player. Kind of, he's typically a winger, but like you said, um, Kate, um, he's, he's out in that sort of left wing-back role. Um, you know, doing a, a, an extremely impressive job out there. But I think for me, Belgium, I've got like, this Belgian side has to go and win a trophy at some point, and I think it could be this one. Um, I think they're just the wedge Portugal, and I think they could go on and win the full thing and beat anybody on their day. Just one quick note on Finland. I guess they have is it o- O'Shaughnessy, the the famous Finnish last name. <laughs> uh, we spoke, you know, at the beginning about Ben Brereton DS. I know for for Scotland, which we'll get onto soon. There's a uh, Shay McAdams uh, as well, who mm-hmm. has found his way into the into the team. What, I think out of the three, actually, O'Shaughnessy was born in Finland. I think he's randomly got like an Irish father or something like that. Um, but I, maybe what, what do you make taking O'Shaughnessy out of it of the likes of Diaz? Obviously, that's at the Copa America. Um, but someone closer to this tournament and closer to you, um, Simo, in, in Shea, Shea Adams. What do you make of players sort of jumping on the bandwagon in time for the tournament? Uh, I don't mind it so much. I mean, I think a really high-profile one is, you know, America's Laporte. I mean, you think of a player like that that can't get on his international side, having to switch allegiances. It, it seems bizarre, but it has so many good centre-backs in front of him. You know, Kempembe, Varane, you know, it's, he plays it. <laughs> <laughs> just happens to you know be a centre back and a time of great centre backs for France. Uh, he's obviously switched allegiances to Spain. I don't think he's Spanish at all. I think he might have like a Spanish, you know, relative somewhere. Um, but yeah, so you know, I don't really mind it too much. You know, I mean, if you look, Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, they, they were they were touted for Ireland, weren't they? Um, they played at, at youth level in Ireland. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Shea Adams, what's the chance he's going to get a call up at any point in his career? If he wants to come play with us, you know, he's got a Scottish dad or a Scottish granddad. I think it's his granddad, actually. You know, uh, Lyndon Dykes born in Scotland, uh, Scottish parents, uh, grew up in Australia. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really don't mind, to be fair. I mean, Shea Adams never really going to get a call up because uh, he's not, unless he moves to a big club, uh, which he could well do if he has a, if he has a, you know, a strong season. Um, but yeah, he's just, He's playing for Southampton, you know. There's a, there's a wee bit of snobbery in the call-up <laughs> call for England, isn't there? You know, uh, in terms of calling up players outside the big six. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think I, I'm okay with it, personally. Yeah, I guess if James Ward-Prowse didn't make it from Southampton, then Shea Adams wasn't wasn't going to make it. So yeah, might as well. crazy join, for me, join, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it is crazy wild. Crazy so underrated, James Ward-Prowse. Just set-piece delivery you know, in and of itself is something you might end up relying upon in, in the tournament at a certain point. So I agree. It's quite a straight, quite a strange decision, but sticking with that kind of um, players joining other, other nations into group C, I think we would have seen uh, Marlos represent Ukraine. Uh, so that, that's a nice little segue. Otherwise, I guess getting ahead to 
um, the World Cup in Qatar. I can only imagine how many players on the Qatar team we're going to be seeing from all over the place. <laughs> but um, getting ahead of ourselves with that one. So Group C, which was the group of the Netherlands, Austria, Ukraine, as I've mentioned, and Goran Pandev's North Macedonia. Um, again, Simo. The Netherlands came into this tournament off the back of, I want to say, quite a few sort of up and down years, and I think a few different managers in between as well. One player that really, really has impressed me so far, he's like turned into prime Sador for this tournament, is uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum, um, showing a bit more of a cut and thrust side to his game than we might be used to at, at Liverpool. What have you made of the Netherlands and what did you make of um, the rest of that group, Austria, Ukraine and North Macedonia? <laughs> as my dog's just, just gone, <laughs> so I'll mute myself. I think the post might be here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Gino, Gino and Aldum's having a superb tournament. I would never expect him not to have a superb tournament. He's a top-class player. I'm extremely disappointed we've lost him at Liverpool, especially in a free. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he... But I, I've seen a lot of stuff saying Liverpool are holding Gino, Wider, Gino and Aldum back, and that's why he's he's not performing that way. He's just doing a different role. He's been asked to do a different position, a different role. Okay, um, you know, people ask why he's not doing that for Liverpool, but you know, and Liverpool, he's he's got right now four attackers in front of him in some cases, but he's got you know sometimes at the same time Bobby Bobby Firmino, Diogo Jota, Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, and then obviously you know how far up the pitch Liverpool push their fullbacks. So having another midfielder commit completely to that attack would, would leave Liverpool extremely open. So people are wondering why Jamie Wijnaldum's allowed to go and attack so much. He's playing a different role for the Netherlands. And he's played that role before. He was a winger at Newcastle. I remember watching Jamie Wijnaldum score four, four goals in one game. I can't remember who it was against, but he was a winger at one point. You know, So he could do these sort of roles. He's having a superb tournament. He is a top-class player. He's going to be at PSG now. You know, he'll go there, he'll win trophies, he, he'll play at a top level for a long, long time. I can see him playing well in his, his mid-30s at a really, really top level. Um, utter professional. I've utterly enjoyed Gene at Liverpool. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to be watching him at a tournament because he, he, is, he is a top, top player. I don't know if Neville's player. I think it's highly impressive as the young uh, wing-back, Dumfries. I think he's having a, a terrific tournament. I think he might actually get a big, big move after this tournament, given his good performances. He has done well. Another one that's impressed me quite a lot is uh, Frankie de Jong from Barcelona, who's quite a low-key player, but has these little bursts of energy where he just breaks through lines and plays a pass, and he's quite a silky sort of um, Laudrup kind of Cruyff type uh, yeah. individual. Um, For a defensive-minded midfield, he has like such a great pass and run and, and late mm. runs into the box as well. Yeah, really, really terrific. There's a reason he's a Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Supremely talented youngster. They're the type of team Netherlands who on their day, if, you know, all things go right for them, could could really be any team. Um, so we'll oh, see, yes. see how things go for them. Otherwise, Yoni on the Netherlands as well. I mean, talk, sort of talk about like failing upwards. De Boer has found himself in this position <laughs> and at, at the rain after atrocious spells in, in club football uh, leading up to this, but is doing at the right time a good job, seemingly. What do you make of the Netherlands um, prospects? throughout the rest of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, like you said, things didn't start out well for him at all at the Netherlands. Um, I think they were winless in their first five or six games under him and then started to click a little bit more. He's obviously got them in this free-at-the-back system, which I know isn't universally popular, but has you know brought some level of success for the Netherlands under Louis van Gaal before. Um, and now that's being reprised because... Frankly, their talent is stacked in certain areas of the pitch and less so in others. So they've got a, um, a sort of a litany of solid, good centre-backs, uh, which maybe if they had Van Dijk fit, they'd be more comfortable with a back four. But without him, they're maximising their uh, talents there. Uh, and like you said, a couple of Rolls-Royce midfielders who are able to control and turn games at will. Um, one of the sort of biggest throwback of a strike partnerships that I've seen at the tournament in Memphis Depay and Valt Weghorst. Um, little and large, big man playing <laughs> off the kind of skillful little man. Um, and they've been entertaining. They've been fun. You can't deny that. Their game against the Ukraine was maybe the first real sparky game of the tournament where you were like, okay, now we're into it. Um, or anything can happen here. Uh, they've obviously had been one of the teams with a home advantage as well. 
um, which I'm not sure they have in the next round. So we'll see how much of their sort of, uh, the, well, how much of the good things about their performances have been down to that. Um, but look, they've got, they've got good players who on the day can perform and be decisive against any of the other the teams in the competition. Uh, as you say, Wijnaldum's found this gear, which he's probably always had, but at Liverpool, you know, played a very different role, very, very effectively. And apart from that, I kind of enjoy the, like, it's mad to think that someone like Martin Stecklenberg is their number one goalkeeper. I know Sillison's got COVID, um, but it was 11 years since the 2010 World Cup, which was when he made his first appearance at the tournament. And even then it felt like he was about 30. Um, so it's just one of those reassuring things about international tournaments, I think, when you see names where you were sure that they had no future at this level come back and actually he's been all right for them. Um, but from this group, I, I mean, I think we have to mention North Macedonia as well, Kai. Um, given that this was their first major tournament, obviously you've got the Goran Pandev narrative, uh, which has sadly reached its conclusion at this level. Um, but how did you think they fared in a group that no one really expected any th anything from them? Yeah, a few of their players will have done their sort of stock no no harm. Um, Pandev is the the one sort of house name almost um, in that in that side. Uh, I think they have a couple other guys maybe playing also in in Italy um, who who are decent players. Uh, they I think they have a lot of city B players or a city C mm. uh, city. C players as well. Um, but go on, go on, yeah. No, no, it's like impressive kind of how they banded together with, yeah, this list of unknowns essentially to come to a major tournament and finish with zero points, but yet still not do themselves, you know, any any disgrace in, in, along the way. So uh, honorable mention goes to North Macedonia. But before we move on from Group C, obviously Austria and Ukraine have both gone through. Austria are going to play against Italy and the Ukraine are going to be up against Sweden in the sort of yellow and blue battle of Europe. But <laughs> who are either of these sides that finished in this group going to go through those games or we think Austria and Ukraine are soon going to be out of this tournament, Simo? I think the days are numbered. I don't think anybody backs them to go, go all the way. Um, on Austria, I think Marco Anartovic is fine as up, so that kind of helps him out a bit. Um, I've talked about, you know, David Alaba trying to force his mouth shut <laughs> to reduce the ban. I don't know why he was so angry at North Macedonia, <laughs> but he was. He was specifically angry at Alioski. I think he's just um, an angry guy, generally. Yeah, he he just, I don't know why David Alaba was just kind of literally trying to force his mouth shut. <laughs> it was uh, quite funny. But um, yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody would back those teams to go all the way super deep into the tournament. Although Austria are a fairly decent side. I mean, David Alba is just absolutely everywhere for him. Uh, he's now moved to Real Madrid, so he's just had a trophy-laden career, um, and he'll continue to probably win trophies at Real. Uh, but yeah, outside that, I don't. I would. I would say they're, they're capable sides that probably deserve to be round about this area. But I don't think anybody's really putting putting their house on them going all the way. Could any of us see Ukraine, were they to make it through one more round or even just fail in the last 16, could that be a stepping stone for Shevchenko on the club scene uh, for him to, you know, he could be the Ukraine manager for however long he wants to be. He could probably walk in the door at Dinamo Kiev and take, you know, up the reins there if he wanted to as well. But could any of us see him moving to a more major European club after this tournament? Well, he's got that privilege of having been a world-class player, which automatically puts you in contention whether you deserve it or not. Um, and if Ukraine were to go further, I don't think you could sort of begrudge him a chance at somewhere where, you know, maybe he'd be able to imprint his football at a higher level. Um, but I don't know about you, Sarah. What, what do you think? Is He has the, the pass of, of being a world-class player. They normally get like at least one go at a top-level mm. club. You know, if you look at it super recently, you know, Thierry Henry had a go at AS Monaco. Um, you know, um, Vincent Company recently in Anderlecht um, failed. Both of them failed really, pretty, failed really hard on their faces. Um, 
obviously finding out that it's absolutely it's very difficult to manage <laughs> in any league at the top flight. <laughs> but it's easy to do when you're when you're doing our job and you just commentate on football. I should have done this. It's, it's, it, these these things are easy to comment on after the fact, but when they get into the driving seat and they're in that, under that much pressure, you know. Um, and it's, it's vastly different from, be, from being a player, isn't it? But yeah, generally top players, uh, they get their, they get at least one shot at a big job. You know, Frank Lampard to Chelsea, another big one. You know, he doesn't get that job if he's not Frank Lampard. If his name is not Frank Lampard, he doesn't get that job. But he got it because he's a world-class player. And he's there, you know. And he's probably got a shot at maybe, maybe a Dino Kiev would, would be a good one. Maybe he goes to, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't say a Premier League, but I would probably say maybe, you know, and uh, Ligon or something like that, Serie A, maybe one of the, the, the lower teams in there. Um, maybe Serie A because he had a lot of pedigree in Italy. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they all get one. They all get at least one <laughs> goal, don't they? Yeah. Well, he, uh, he in, well, whether or not he enjoyed it on the pitch, he he had a spell in in London already, and you know, did, Spurs, yeah. Spurs are looking for a for a manager. <laughs> they, you know, they they've got a history with Ukrainians, in as much as they signed uh, Sergei Rebrov, so I'll call that a history with Ukrainians. Do you know what I would? I wouldn't rule it out because I think the vast just about everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although surely, like it's his turn at Milan. Thinking about it, they've got form for hiring the Ancelotti generation of players. They're working through them all. It must be there must be some kind of road. They are actually. Yeah, it's on. a good point. It's a really yeah, good yeah. point. <laughs> uh, well, we can move to sort of Group D now, which obviously featured, well, all four teams represented in some way on this podcast: England, Croatia, Czech Republic, and Scotland. Um, Simo. A sad end for Scotland, despite moments where it looked like it might work out better. Um, from your perspective, what were the expectations of Scotland going into this tournament? And how do you feel about how it went overall? There was, there was no expectations. You know, I spoke, I spoke when we qualified, I did say on a podcast, I was, we're just happy for the day out. You know, we're not expecting it going win the Euros. Oh, of course not, you know. A goalkeeper can't get in the team at Derby. Our right back plays for Motherwell. You know, we're not, <laughs> not expecting. Um, I think we had a lot of lapses, Judge. I, mean, I think we, if we could have made it out of the, the group stages, that would have been a real achievement for us. I think, and I think everybody, every Scotland supporter had that in their heads. If we could get out of the groups, that would be a real, real achievement for, for us as a nation. Uh, we got close, um, but we just had a couple of things go against us. Kieran Tierney being missed for the for the, the, the Czech Republic game. The game that we, we had, Marked down. That is the one we have to win. Uh, Kieran Tierney was missing for it. Kieran Tierney is one of the few top, top level players we have in the Scottish national team. Um, him missing, it just it affected us so negatively. Um, and then England went really, really well for us. And then Billy Gilmer gets our star, our star man of that game who plays obviously at a very top level. I'm just breaking in. I'm just at the beginning of his career at a very top level, highly touted all over Europe, um, held in high regard by Thomas Tuchel and Frank Lampard. Um, so he, he's he's impressing all, all his recent managers. Um, and he goes and gets coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> and he's ruled out for the um, Croatia game. And then we we lost the Croatia game in the midfield. Luka Modric was absolutely superb. He was he was everywhere. It was absolutely everything. His passing range, his movement, his positioning. He's so intelligent as a footballer. He's world class. He's the reason he's won the Ballon d'Or and plays at the level he has at the age he is. Um, Perisic as well. We made a mistake in that game that I spoke about. We matched Steve O'Donnell, who's the, the right back at Murrowbell, who plays at a particularly. Uh, he doesn't play at the level of Perisic, title winning Perisic, you know. Um, whereas in the England game, Game we matched O'Donnell to Luke Shaw. So if he was beat, it wasn't the consequences were lit, you know, minimum. And we matched Scott McTominay to, to Raheem Sterling. Stephen O'Donnell very much got a Scott, Scott McTominay's way. But uh, in that game, you know, we matched Stephen O'Donnell to, to Perisic, which which was uh, ultimately our undoing. The first, the first goal comes from my header from Perisic across goal um, to be put away. Yeah, but, you know, you can look back, you know what I mean? If we get to another major tournament I, I think people have to remember this is you know the first international tournament i've had stakes in in my adult life <laughs> so you know it was it was it was different from what it normally is normally for us it's just whatever you know country you get in the office sweepstake uh, as the team support <laughs> well sort of staking on that 
is this, and you mentioned it with Gilmore as well, sort of paralleling the beginning of a breakthrough for him at the top level. Is this the beginning of something for Scotland in terms of major tournaments, or was this the culmination of the best players that you've got at this moment in time and sort of peaking at the right times, and that was genuinely as much as they could do? Um, I think I think we'll be back. I think we'll be back. We've got a good group of players. They're difficult to play against and when we're playing against nations of our level. Um, and I think, you know, the, the players that are in the key areas for us are of the right age of sort of mid-20s. I think, you know, if we swap David Marshall out, if we swap Stephen O'Donnell out, it's not massive con- consequences for us. They are, are players that play at a particularly top level. You know, our midfield as well. You know, um, we have to play Scott McTominay as a centre-back because we just don't have that depth there. Our midfield, I think, is starting to gel a, bit, a little bit better than it has been. We'd, we'd struggled in midfield for quite a long time. And now I think, you know, with Callum McGregor, John McGinn is super important to us at the minute. Um, Billy Gilmore, if he comes in here, a real, a real good bit of form. Uh, you know, uh, Shea Adams and Lyndon Dykes, obviously, again, just roughly at the start their careers as well so yeah I think you know we could build on this and, and I'd, I'd like to see another I set another uh, major tournament and uh, I would say the next, next few years would be would be the, my expectations now that, now that I've had it I want it, I want it again <laughs> yeah uh, Angie you listed several of the things that went against Scotland there and also on top of that one of the most ridiculous goals that you'll see at a major tournament Patrick Sheik scoring from basically the halfway line, which people have attributed blame to David Marshall for that. I, I have sympathies with him there. It's like an astonishing shot, I think, no? Yeah, I mean, it's, you've got to put the ball in the back of the net. It does ever so well to get the get a shot on target. David Marshall, to his credit, you know, absolutely goes hell for leather to get back <laughs> there. And deeper go. in the net he as shows, well. Yeah, he has no signs of showing <laughs> slowing down, so it absolutely pelts it through the net. Yeah, yeah. So moving south of the border to England, who finished top of the group, scoring two goals. Um, there's been a lot of mixed reviews, I'd say, about each of their three games, really. Uh, but they are through and stand to face now Germany in the next round. Kai, what did you make of their group stage, the use of the squad? And if you can, break down their performances over the course of the tournament so far. It's kind of like same old England. You know, we whenever it comes time for the qualifying for the tournaments we you know win every game pretty much and we're usually kind of more prolific than we typically are because we're playing against the likes of San Marino and Liechtenstein and stuff so it makes sense but we show up at a tournament with the next generation of sort of golden talent since the likes of you know Beckham and Gerrard and Lampard and Scholes and stuff this is kind of the next wave Harry Kane's sort of at his prime time and the other guys are sort of approaching it so it's quite an exciting tournament and then you know gareth southgate plays gareth southgate football um we play a back five occasionally <laughs> against teams that it doesn't really seem like it's necessary to play a back five against and we grind out the results just like we did in the most successful tournament that we've been to in recent years which was the 2018 world cup we also sort of like ground our way past some of those opponents the swedens the Colombias in the knockout stages in particular. And so in that sense, it kind of gives me hope that there is still some football for this team to play over the next few rounds and not a repeat of the last time we faced Germany at a major tournament when we were absolutely battered. Although there is VAR this time. So if we score, it'll actually count, unlike when Lampard scored Mm -hmm. against Neuer that one time. But on an individual level, there's a lot of noise around Sancho not playing. There's less noise around Rashford not playing, which I don't have an issue with because I think that Rashford is one step off of that top wavelength kind of uh, attacking player level. He's a great player to have on the bench nonetheless. I'm excited that Saka has made his way into the team. It seems like you can't really drop him at this point for the next game, given how well he played the other day, which means that Southgate will drop him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a question of personnel we've got all of the square pegs to put into the square holes. Um, It's not so much Scotland situation where your two best players are left backs and you have to figure it out from there. We've got a bunch of great (laughs) left backs, a bunch of great right backs, a bunch of, I guess the one position that we're maybe lacking in is center half where you look at Harry Maguire, who's just returned to quote unquote full fitness um, alongside 
John Stones and is Ben White going to be in there? Are we going to play Kyle Walker in there um, like we sometimes do in a three? So it's just a personnel question. I don't think that these players have kind of uh, anything hanging over their heads like they used to in the past. We put like the penalty shootout issue to bed at the last tournament. We've shown that we can make it towards the latter stages of tournaments. So I think that mentality-wise, it's there. It's just putting the right players on the pitch and the true result is going to come. If we play Germany and we lose, that's no shame. Can we beat this Germany team? Absolutely. Uh, so that's where I stand on it. And I'm, yeah, fingers crossed from, you know, an England fan's perspective that we can make it to the quarterfinals and then, you know, go from there. We'll see. Uh, Simo, what, what about you from, from the inside, from the outside? Obviously, you're not too far removed from, from England as it is. Um, what do you make of their, their chances? I, I think England have a terrific squad. Slightly worried that Gareth Southgate has... Like, if I was an England fan, I'd be worried that Harry Kane is maybe still keeping his position, you know, because he is really underperformed. If his name is anything but Harry Kane, he gets dropped. He's, you know, I've, he seems so isolated, but he's not. He has really good runners of him. He has really good passers in midfield. He's, I think he's struggling a little bit. I think he's still carrying like injuries from the season. He seems just a yard behind. Um, I think... England fans are maybe, they, they see this Germany side as a, de, a depleted Germany side, but it's still a Germany side. You're still going to face a midfield of Goretzka, Tony Cruz, and Gundogan. Um, the midfielders of Bayern, Real Madrid, and Manchester City, three of the biggest clubs in the world right now that are all competing at a top level. Uh, they, those are really top players. So you have to win that battle in midfield. You just lost the battle in midfield against Scotland, and it was crucial to why you just couldn't get the, the ball in the back of the net against Scotland because players like John McGinn um, and, and Billy Gilmer really made it difficult for you in, in the middle of the park. I think, yeah, if he's... If, I, I don't know why he's not given Sancho a run out yet. You know what I mean? Because now he's at a point, if Sancho comes on the pitch, he's going to be... he's The first minutes he's going to get are going to, going to be against the Germany side rather than, you know, a Czech Republic side or a Scotland side or even a, you know, depleted Croatian side. Um I, I I get that a lot of England fans are really confident going into this, but I still see this Germany side as, as no pushovers. Um, I think it will be a closer match than people think. Yeah, th this confidence makes me feel not confident because <laughs> it feels like Germany are most dangerous when you do slightly underestimate them. And it will be interesting to see if Gareth Southgate matches the five at the back that Germany have been choosing to play with or if he sticks with the system that England have got a bit more used to in this tournament so far. Um, but it's, it's really a, a close kind of game, um, really difficult to, to call this one. And Germany, it, they've had a weird tournament. I, I, they, from what I saw of the Hungry game, they were not good. They struggled to break the team down, um, had a lot of the ball, but lacked ideas despite their quality were very good against Portugal and were, I think, adequate against France, against, again, a universally favoured France team. Um, it's difficult to call, and I'm not really looking forward to any of the build-up and the kind of nationalist overtures that that seems to inspire every single time. I suppose the, we haven't really mentioned Croatia or the Czech Republic here. Um, Simo, how do you fancy their chances as the tournament progresses from this point? Uh, Croatia, again, are just uh, they're a bit of an aging side, but you know, they still have a lot of quality all over the pitch. Um, Perisic and Luka Modric really the difference makers. They have Kovacic in midfield as well, he's a really capable midfielder. Um, in terms of the Czech Republic, they have the, the striker Schick, who's having a really good he's had a good season, but I think he scored 17 goals now. He's coming into Euros. Um, performing extremely well, playing with a lot of confidence. He's six foot five. He's going to bully any defender he gets on. Uh, yeah, a, a difficult team to play. You know, they've not been really pushed over um, in this tournament. Completely pushed over in terms of like maybe England had an easy time against them. Um, but you know, I think you know, I think that the, the one of the 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 um, one of the sides that maybe see they can get past the hood. Who the Czech Republic have again in the first. They are going to be playing the Netherlands. So that oh, should be maybe quite they, a good Maybe they don't get any further then. 
but yeah, they have a striker that's on form. You know, you can all that's that's one thing you can at least say. You know, when you have a striker that's on form, then you, you at least have a chance, at least have a shout. You know, football games they're not they're not played on paper. A lot of people think they're played on paper and that every time the better team wins, but it's it's just not the case. <laughs> Upsets happen all of the time in football, you know. Um, and sometimes a good mid around the squad, a player that's on form could be the difference maker when it comes down to the 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, Croatia and Czech Republic, yeah, I think they've got the, the, the ability to go a wee bit further in the competition. Yeah, the Czechs, of course, have the two guys from West Ham, Sufal and Suchek and um, Croatia, when you've got essentially, you know, arguably the best centre midfielder of his generation in Luka Modric and players like Perisic, like Kovacic other ones in there as well and you know from eastern european teams as well you typically get that resolve and that kind of banding together and uh, us against the world or us against europe i guess mm. in this in this situation so you never know um uh, what those two teams might be able to achieve over the next few days and weeks moving on from group d to group e which was the group of sweden spain slovakia and robert Lewandowski's poland it's actually a group that sweden ended up topping it's spain kind of a transitional tournament for them i suppose in terms of the types of players that they have available to them led by or mm -hmm. technically led by alvaro morata at least in terms of leading a line uh, i don't know how much confidence he, he he inspires in the spanish faithful um quite a few high profile misses including a penalty that he's already missed in this tournament as well but we spoke with uh ante kvartic from croatiansports.com recently who was very sort of keenly strategizing uh, their route to the final uh, or you know to success in this tournament which was going to be finishing not top of the group because he was aware of the loophole of you know top plays against the group of death and then second place um, comes up against the, the teams that are in this uh, Sweden and Spain group and he was pretty sort of like licking his lips at the prospect of that uh, but I think anyone who kind of pits themselves against Spain and thinks that they're just going to walk past them is is in for a surprise I think that they've still got um, a horse in this race. Simo, what do you make of the, the Spanish team, where it's come from, where it is now, and what it's capable of? I mean, it's not it's not the team that won, that, can, that was just going to win everything, as a, you know, back-to-back -back international tournaments. Um, but you can't have that kind of generational talent forever. You know, that the players like that aren't just going to keep, you know, popping up all over the place. Um, in terms of leading the line, Al Alvaro Morata, for a player that seems to me pretty bang average, seems to spend his entire career just moving around top-level clubs in Europe, getting paid an absolute fortune to deliver, you know, bang average seasons <laughs> in terms of scoring from three yards out, and that's about the, the gist of it. Um, it's not the Spain of old at all. There are some old Spaniards in it. Um, but, you know, I I. They're they still a Spanish side. They still have, you know, talent led all over the pitch. They're not going to be an easy team to beat, but I don't really back them as one of the potential winners. They just aren't in my book, and me saying that will probably push them on to, to go and win the full thing. But uh, I, I just can't see them doing it personally. Yeah, we'll see about the Spain's exploits for the rest of the tournament. Yanni on Sweden, the team who actually did top the group, um, Emil Forsberg was kind of their, uh, their key player throughout that. How surprised are you that they did top the group and how much does that mean in the grand scheme of things um i'm surprised that they topped it in the sense that i before this one would, would still have expected spain to top it despite them not being quite what they used to be um but it feels like even at the 2018 world cup they were building something they had a solid base there um, kind of a reliable set of players who were never going to throw a game or lose a game by a particularly large margin. They would always be in a game against whatever caliber of opposition. And now they've added to that. They've got Alexander Isak, who's probably been one of the most exciting forwards of the tournament so far, who adds that bit of spark that maybe in the last tournament they didn't have. And no one's talking about Ibrahimovic's absence because Isaac has taken on that mantle and looks like a real leading man um, for a side that needs their front end to be as productive as possible. Um, so I'm surprised they finished top, but not so surprised that they were able to capitalize, I suppose, on Spain's lack of um, cutting edge. And... I mean, th this is one of the groups where the two bottom teams didn't qualify, Slovakia and Poland. Poland, it seems to me, 
always have a good collection of players, but always do exactly the same thing at every tournament and kind of hope that Lewandowski will do something without really working out how that happens. Um, Kai, what did you make of, I suppose, Slovakia and Poland as two of the lesser fancy teams in this competition, but teams which at the same time were still have wanted and thought they could have gone through from this group? Yeah, I was a bit disappointed in Slovakia, how they faded after actually a decent start. Again, considering some of the players that they do have, the likes of Skriniar, who's just won Serie A, um, further up the pitch, another former Serie A footballer, Marek Hamsik, who is one of those guys who at this point, it's like, oh, he's the best guy we have. Let's play him at center forward, even though he's a center midfielder. But again, needs must for the international team sometimes. But, you know, on that note, they've got some decent players. And I think that, they kind of fell apart, especially obviously in the Spain game. They just got absolutely trounced and Dubravka scored a quite impressive own goal that you would never really see again. It was actually kind of like the, um, was it Pickford against Liverpool um, with the Origi thing? It was kind of similar. Yeah, similar to that yeah. in some ways. He was doing a Pickford impression, Martin Dubravka. But um, so Slovakia, yeah, I suppose, you know, didn't have high expectations for them, but quietly they probably would have liked to have achieved more as far as Poland who actually came bottom of the group they definitely would have been disappointed with that Lewandowski kind of turned it on at the end but it was a little bit too late he also managed to miss two headers that were basically open goals from like a yard out within the same phase of play which I think the commentator which they said it right which was you know if there was one player on the planet forget Europe forget Poland that you would want in that situation it would probably be Robert Lewandowski so it's a good thing that people weren't making bets on that in in that moment but I think we'll we'll leave Group E there um, with Sweden and Spain, the two teams who are moving on. And Yanni, that brings us to Group F, the final group. Yeah, Group F, the group of death. Although I'm not sure if it can be a group of death if three of the teams were going to qualify. Um, <laughs> but the teams were France, Germany, Portugal and Hungary finishing in that order. We're speaking the day after maybe the most exciting night of the tournament so far. I think the standings within that group changed about five times within the course of play. Um, Simo, I suppose anything could have happened in this group. Uh, anyone could have finished top, fine margins and all that. But we'll start with France, who did. Are they right to be most people's favourites? Yes, they have the they have the best team. They had they, they they have the best collection of players, the best squad depth in the tournament as well. Um, it's it's no surprise a lot of people are just backing them to go and go and win it. Um, they just have a tremendous side. And they go, of course, they have the most exciting young football in the world, Kylian Mbappe, um, as part of the side. And, uh, you know, it just uh, it, it screams of France going on to do the double and, and win the World Cup and then go on and win the Euros. But, you know, I'm still back in uh, Belgium to go and do something because I just think the Belgian team's too good as it is now to not win something in this sort of generation they've got. Um <laughs> But yeah, that group was just the group was just mental, wasn't it? And a lot of people were like, "Oh my god, either one of these teams is going to go out, and it, the group's going to be super exciting." But then I think people kind of realised the the third place qualification in terms of like it's almost it's almost not worth having the group stages to get rid of two teams or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, it's it went very much. I, even though it was really unpredictable, I think it went very much the way you probably would have thought it would have, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, th I think most people probably would have thought those three teams will somehow, in some order, get through at Hungary's expense. But Hungary, Kai... That does serve justice. Yeah, they, they did, and gave a much, I think, without meaning to sound patronizing, better account of themselves than most people would have expected uh, in front of, in fairness, a capacity crowd. And maybe we can talk about that as well in another way. Um, but first of all, on the football side of things, Kai, Hungary were maybe unfortunate not to go through. Yeah, I think that if their goalkeeper had worn sweatpants like the legendary Gabor Karai, <laughs> then that might have been some good fortune for them. I was disappointed not to see that. Um, otherwise, no, obviously they've, they've you know, overachieved in many ways, despite finishing yeah bottom of the group, just in terms of their performances. They got a draw off of France. If that's the team that goes on to win the tournament, they'll be able to say that they didn't lose to them. Um, they got another draw against Germany, another quite impressive result for them. And so, you know, you could hardly name a single player from their side. What is it? The forward Adam Shalai has been around for a while. Randomly, actually, I think in his very early days of his career was a Real Madrid player, which seems weird. Um, 
I guess what maybe Puskas following in his footsteps as far as a Hungarian to play over there. But um, yeah, it's a nice story for you know teams like that to come to these tournaments. And again, with the North Macedonia kind of like same vein of you know if any of the fans traveled, that's going to be some memories for them to keep for for the rest of their lives. So I think the the Hungarian players are going home with some cool shots, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> the shot, you know, you know, uh, with the shot swaps at the end of the game. Of course, some, yeah, yeah, Germany, a good, France, a and good... Portugal, exactly. Yeah, someone's got, <laughs> someone's got Mbappe, someone's got, I don't know if it's Thomas Muller or whoever, Nabry, the, you know, whoever you want from Germany. So that's a good point. Yeah, they will have enjoyed it. And, um, you know, a couple of them might end up getting moves off the back of it. Is it Orban, the centre-back, who plays for Leipzig, is a decent player? Um, did did um, did Shaboshlai play he was injured he was injured for the tournament and maybe one of the big question marks for them will be if he had been fit maybe they would have had that extra bit of quality and creativity Mm. to actually do something a bit more against france or you know hold on to their lead against germany um the one thing we haven't mentioned at all yet really is portugal and the eternal cristiano ronaldo who is i think top scorer in the in the tournament so far um simo they have perhaps in terms of quality, their best squads since the golden generation of 2004, 2006 era. Um, perhaps not the most exciting, though, in terms of the way they play. Uh, how do you think their trajectory in the tournament will go from here? I mean, you've back you, Belden to win, so I guess it's ending pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think with a counter-attacking ability, um, they could... They could... They could do over a couple of teams. They could even do over Belgium, to be honest. I think that counter-attacking goal they did against um, France, where they moved the ball from like, one end of the pitch in just a matter of seconds, put it in the back of the net with some absolutely glorious passing. Um, they are, they are that 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 team is the spine of it is extremely talented. Um, it probably is the best Portugal side since you know days of Luis Figo and, and players like that. Um, yeah, and the Cristiano Ronaldo at this point, I'm sure, was at some point in his career just replaced by a cyborg. Um, that's just programmed to play football. He's unreal. He is eternal. I can see him, you know, at, <laughs> at Euros 2030 <laughs> at this rate. Um, probably. Um, he's now the top scorer of the Euros ever, top scorer of international tournaments ever. You know, he's he's insane. He's insane. He's an insane player. Um, held in just a different regard to, to you know most other other players. Um, and when they have him, they always have a chance, I think, of doing over any side. And yeah, they, they do have a lot of players that are tremendously well suited to counter-attacking. So when they do come against these better sides that are going to come at them, um, they have the they have the ability to do that. Hence, by the way, they will get something out of France. Yeah, Ronaldo, I think, beyond all of those accolades, is approaching becoming the highest scoring international footballer of all time outside of tournaments, whatever you call it. So just more records sort of pulling his way. Um, You look at the types of players that they're able to leave out of their starting 11. Zhao Felix, like the most expensive teenager of of all time, probably, and other players as well. You know, you can only put probably what a Bernardo Silva, a Jota and a a Ronaldo out there. And then, you know, you're you're having to forego some of these other top talents in, in attacking departments. So it's quite impressive and kind of envious of the kind of like England, to be honest with you in an attacking sense, although maybe I'm doing us too much of a, giving mm. us too much credit like that. Um, but yeah, no, no, I think it's, it's definitely compatible. You know, you look at Joe Felix, you look at, you know, um, Jaden Sancho, the young players that are held in super high regard, still struggling to get into the side. Um, you know, I'd, I, I would, I would say it is compatible. I would say they probably need Bernardo Silva for the out ball. And maybe that's why Joe Felix is very much that centre forward. And to take him out, the, the player you need to replace him with would probably be Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's why he's yeah. never not getting on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, one guy who you're not gonna, yeah, take out of the team for a second. It's gonna be, it's gonna be him. And obviously, despite them being the reigning champions, um, Ronaldo's final four or five years ago at this point was curtailed by I think a Dimitri Payet tackle, and so he wasn't on the pitch for the success. So he'll, in his mind, have some unfinished business. And yeah, if there's one player who you don't want to come up against when he has even more sort of reason to, to produce the goods, it, it's, it's going to be him. So Belgium versus Portugal, arguably the tie of the next round, along with England versus Germany, as far as these games to look out for. Um, as far as looking back, though, on the group, as we have done, we just want to finish real quick with some awards. And so I'll just 
ask you guys each for first your most impressive team so far. I'll start with Simo. Uh, my most impressive team so far is Atlee. Highly impressed with the, the way they're going about their football. Um, I could really see them being a danger and go deep into this competition. Yanni, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'd have to say the same. They've made lightest work of any team of their group. Um, and I'm excited and intrigued to see what they do next against higher caliber opposition too. All right, I'll stick with you, Yanni, for the next one, and then we'll bounce back to Simo. The biggest flop as far as... <laughs> well, I mean, given how much I hype them, I have to go with Turkey because they, I think, were objectively the worst team in the group stage. Um, and my expectations were a lot higher. And I'm sure they'll be back at a major tournament soon um, and we'll build them up again. But they really were just completely disjointed. And I don't really know what they were trying to do. I think that's the thing. I, I have no concept of what they were aiming to do, how they were aiming to play beyond just lumping it up to Yomaz and hoping something stuck. Yeah, good players, Soyuncu and um, Demiral at the back and some players who've just won Liga with uh, Lille as well as Chalhanoglu. Chalhan I'm not even going to try to say it a third time. Chalhanoglu, <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, you would have thought that they could have mustered some more. Um, Simo, who, who were your most disappointing team? I have to agree with everything Yoni's just said there. Um, very much back to the drawing board for Turkey. They really have to go and have a look. Come on, and maybe the next tournament to turn up to with a better plan and maybe play a little bit more conservatively as well um, in terms of trying to <laughs> not be the worst team in the tournament. <laughs> yeah, it's a good start when you're when you're sort of getting beyond that point. Otherwise, um, I guess we might have been able to call Italy this, this next category as well. But I think at this point, they're probably no longer dark horses in the same way that they were heading into the tournament. So Simo, is there a new dark horse that's emerged? I'm going to say Denmark. Just because a team that's suffered a wee bit of a travesty, um, they have it all to play for. I think they want to play with no no fear at all. I think they want to play with freedom. And I would say, yeah, they're my little dark horse. And I think maybe they could, this could push them on to really, really do well in this competition. Yeah, we'll see if the momentum sort of sticks with them at this point. Yoni, the dark horses. Um. Denmark certainly have the will of the people behind them and I could easily go for them. We're going to stay in Scandinavia and say Sweden because they are on what looks like a slightly easier side of the draw as well. Um, and I think they'll get past Ukraine and then after that, they'll play the winner of England versus Germany, who I think whichever one that is will have a really tough time breaking them down. Um, they look set up for tournament football and I think they might still surprise a few people. I'm sure, yeah, the Swedes will be hoping that that's the case. Then, Yanni, I'll stick with you again. Uh, as far as an individual player whose stock has risen the most so far? Um, I'm going to stick in Sweden again. And I, I suppose you could go for either Isaac or Forsberg, but I've mentioned Isaac already. Forsberg is a player who's an interesting one because he has been playing at a high level for a while. He's been in the Leipzig squad, hasn't necessarily been their star man or even been sort of in their first 11 in the big Champions League games. But he's a highly gifted player. He's Sweden's spark. And I wouldn't be surprised if after on the back of this tournament, there were rumors linking him to even bigger clubs in Europe than Leipzig. Um, and whoever would get him would have a very highly skilled and hardworking player. Um, and a midfielder who seems like they can cope with the physical demands of any league. So interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, it's like the second coming of Emil Forsberg. I think he originally peaked probably at the same time as Naby Keita with that Leipzig side a few years back. And then Keita was the one who ended up getting a big move. And the less said about that, I'm sure probably as far as Simo is concerned is, is, is the better. But um, Simo, who's, uh, who's the player for you that's uh, stock has risen the most? Uh, for me, it goes to be Schick uh, of the Czech Republic. Um, just because he is a big physical striker, he clearly is a bit of a baller. You know, he put it in the back of the net from the halfway line. Um, I think he could really, really suit a Premier League side. You know, maybe not a top side that really want to play with a ball along the floor. But I think, you know, if you think uh, of a side that's going to want to really have a bit of physicality up front, um, I think, you know, a move to the Premier League, he could actually succeed um, and do well. Maybe if Harry Kane is on the move, we, we might see Shevchenko and Schick rock up at, uh, at Tottenham next <laughs> That season. would be something. <laughs> <laughs> so otherwise, 
I think that's about as much time as we have for today. So I want to say thanks to my co-host for today, Yoni, and then a very special thank you from both of us to James Simpson for joining us. Simo, we hope that you've enjoyed being our guest and how can the listeners best follow you and everything that you're up to these days? I have very much enjoyed being on here. I'm very much sorry for my internet issues. I have no idea what's going on for my, my Wi-Fi. Um, you can find me um, at Total Screamers on um, Twitter or at SimoTSP uh, on Twitter. I also do a podcast called Veilcast uh, with my football club that I work at, um, Devon Vale, who play at the fifth tier in Scottish football. Um, give us a check out if you fancy it. <laughs> Every bit of Highland League football. Uh, but on that, yeah, thanks very much for having me on, guys. Uh, thanks again, Simo. The pleasure was all ours and best of luck to Devon Vale um, for the next season coming up. As far as our <laughs> listeners and viewers, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please do follow or subscribe wherever it is that you found us. We're United Mates Football Podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Same name on YouTube where you can put some faces to these voices. And then on social media, it's at United Mates FP across Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And then the website is unitedmatesfp.com where you can find all of the above content in one place, plus some awesome articles as well that Yoni has written himself and the likes of myself and Joe have a stab at those occasionally. Until next time, everyone, though, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye. <laughs>